Hello and welcome to Rise of the Data Cloud. Today's episode features an interview with Eve Cazot, Group CIO at Michelin. Eve also previously served as the president of the ICT Commission at the National Academy of Technology in France. Eve is a global thought leader on organization theory, social networks, and computer-mediated communication. On this episode, Eve talks about the importance of keeping humans involved in AI systems, adaptions Michelin has made to its supply and distribution chains amidst the COVID-19 crisis, innovation in France's startup culture, and much more. So please enjoy this conversation between Eve Cazot, Group CIO at Michelin, and your host, Steve Hamm. We like to start, Eve, by talking about kind of how people came into the technology industry or into the technology business. So if you could start by telling us how you initially got interested in technology and why you decided to make it your career. Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I went, I deep dived into, uh, into computers really when I was a teenager. I was also very good at math, so I, I hesitated between math and computer science, but uh, at last moment I had the chance to do a little bit of both. So I would say the first step, I wanted to do uh, artificial intelligence. We'll talk about that later on. My, my advisor told me it was a dangerous topic. So I moved uh, into compiler designs and, and, and rule-based systems. But so I would say first 15 years of my life, I was in uh, R&D, actually, in uh, software research. And then I moved to IT and a corporate career that I have now. Why did your advisor say that AI was dangerous? Remember, it was the, the 80s. There was a light report a couple of years earlier. So it was the first winter of AI. Oh, I remember the AI winter. Yeah, yeah. So the, I moved into object-oriented programming, which uh, was a much better choice because uh, it became extremely popular for the next 15 years. And then I, I moved to operations research, which was another way to do smart systems without having the AI name branded on, on it. Now... Most people think they know what business Michelin is in, but it would be really helpful if you describe it so we understand the, the full dimensions of the company's businesses and then talk about your role there as CIO. So as everyone knows, our main business is tires and uh, in every possible sector from really small things like bikes up to really large earth-moving mining trucks. We are the leading brand with a focus on performance, what we call total performance and innovation. And when we mean total performance, the combination of, of driving performance, but also durability, energy savings, everything at the same time. Our, our shared purpose is a better way forward, which means that besides tires, uh, we have several adjacent businesses. One of them is services and solutions, such as fleet management with connected tires and connected devices. We also operate in uh, travel experience, and uh, the, such as the world-famous Michelin Guide, and also high-performance materials because we leverage our deep knowledge of materials and, and chemistry. I joined Michelin uh, mid-2017 as, as the group CIO. Michelin has built, over the years, a worldwide IT with hubs in France, in US, India, and China, and a large number of smaller teams around the world. It's a global organization with shared infrastructure and business solution deployment. And it's also a hybrid organization where our enterprise architecture enables local agility. And when I say local, it either means local country or a specific business line. And my job as the group CIO is to develop the best technology platform for mission businesses to run their services and to leverage technology such as artificial intelligence and machine learning. We probably will talk about that later on into their own strategy. 
Now, you've been there for about three years. What was your main goal when you arrived, and what's your main goal now? So three years ago, we defined the strategy as, as a Maslow pyramid, that is every layer is being important, but the, the bottom is the, is the most important, and every layer holds on top of each other. The, the first layer was quality of service. Uh, deliver our services more regularly with less downtime, uh, which is really what our customers and partners do expect. So that's sort of the, the bottom layer. On top of this, there is simplification, removing technical debt, removing obsolescence. And this is really critical for the next century. This is, uh, we need to reduce the dead weight so that we can accelerate faster. And more or less, we need to work on modern software tools to increase the rate of change. But the third layer, which is probably what we're going to talk the most about, is building the foundation for a data-driven Michelin. And uh, we have always gathered lots of data at Michelin. It's part of our culture. Deciding based on data is part of our culture. So the data-driven challenge is to make data circulate everywhere, to break the silos and, and to make this much faster. So the, the fourth layer of the strategy is really system-to-system integration and in, uh, expose our data and services and work with our partners. But that requires the first three things to work well, because otherwise, if you expose your services and they are not good enough, you have a problem. And the last part of the strategy is really becoming an innovation enabler for Michelin, which is also something we'll talk later on, and improve the, the quality of experience that is leveraged, the UX uh, design skills that, that are really important in, in this day and age. So to come back to your question, my, my number one priority when I joined three years ago was really quality of service. We've made tremendous progress. With, uh, the downtime was divided by a factor of four during the last three years. We still have some room to grow. We're not as good as I wish we, we were, but we've made big progress. So now what's next? It's really a simplification, removing our legacy systems and making sure that Michelin can run on an up-to-date, high availability uh, software system. You mentioned shared services. That suggests that you're, doing, you're sharing data and knowledge with some of your partners. Do I understand that correctly? We are, we are not as much as uh, we should or as they, they wish we, we would, but uh, yes, we are already, we have EDI, Electronic Data Inter-Exchange, we have APIs, we are sharing data with our distribution partners, with some of our customer, business customers, and it's clearly a trend of the future. If you look at what's happening with COVID and the, the growth of e-commerce, it also works for us. The system-to-system integration is, is more and more critical to our business. Mm-hmm. Now, how important are data and data analytics to Michelin? So for us, it's, it's very important. We, we, we see this as a, as a journey with a number of, of, of steps and a learning curve. That is, the, first, we need data to, to better see, understand, uh, I would say, uh, predict and automate our business. That I'm, I'm following the, the framework from the German Academy of Engineering. Mm. And uh, all of this has been true at Michelin for a while. We use data to to better run our, on our R&D. But with the new challenges of digital manufacturing, this is becoming more and more important. A classical example of prediction is predictive maintenance. We use it in our factories. We also use it for IT operations. AI for ops, it's really predictive maintenance applied to, to IT operations. And then once we can foresee with enough accuracy, then we can start to automate the reaction and we move towards uh, adaptive and autonomous systems, which is sort of the the four steps of the data-driven journey. And when we are good at this internally, because all of this so far has been to help Michelin better run our own businesses, then we can start share this with 
our partners and customers, which was exactly your previous questions. Mm -hmm. And moving to data services, that's what we do. For instance, we do fleet management and fleet management is really a data-driven service. And then even move to data products where you send the data to someone who is going to use the data for their own benefits and, and purposes. So that is the data journey for us. I, I could give you a number of examples yeah. from R&D where we use data to accelerate the knowledge extraction from tests, manufacturing. We talked about supply chain. We use AI to improve the efficiency of the supply chain. We also use uh, data and AI to facilitate the customer interaction with machine. But the thing that is even more exciting as opposed to simply using data analytics to make each function perform better is when you look at the bigger picture and you make data circulate so that you can create coupling, so such, such as coupling designing R&D with manufacturing or coupling supply chain with demand management. And this is really where the enterprise scale data management becomes important. Not only function by function optimization, but creating a, a new picture of the global Michelin. Yeah, that's interesting. A couple of questions. First, in your manufacturing, it sounds like you're using AI and data to kind of monitor the manufacturing process and to optimize it kind of on the fly. Is that what's going on? Are you able to actually improve the way things are going or, or, or modify them or reconfigure them without actually humans getting involved? There are humans involved oh, okay. uh, for two reasons. First, it's a, it's a journey. And uh, when one of the, the great quotes from Paul Dogerty, who is the CTO of Accenture, is that AI, it's a learning system with embedded humans. And I really mm. like this idea that you have embedded humans because to train the systems, you need people with really the business skills, with the engineering skills, with the manufacturing skills. And then once you have created the smart system, no, we are not at the level where it could operate on the fly. However, it, it really depends. Actually, when we start to use AI to do defect detection, for instance, we hope to automate lots of this. When we use AI to do uh, predictive maintenance, it works together with a human. It's going to create an alarm and say, oh, you should really take a look at this machine. And then maybe the, the technician will say, yes, you're right. Let's, let's take a look. Or no, no, it's, uh, I know why we have this alert. It's, I'm not going to do it. So I would say that's, that's the, more common, the more common case. We, we like to speak about augmented intelligence at Michigan, where we see AI as a way to augment the savviness, the intelligence of the operator in the factory. The other thing you mentioned was the fact that you, you actually sell some of the data you gather. And I wondered what, what kind of data fits into that category and what's your kind of channel, your sales channel for that? What we give, because we don't sell the data about our own, own product, what we share with, uh, with partners are our own supply chain management, inventory management, and also what we know about the market. So there, there is a certain level of exchange there. Mm -hmm. What we are starting to, to sell is our capability also to, to tell some of our partners what we know about their business from, from what we can observe. So it's a, it's a kind of a quid pro quo later. Each of us, we know something about the other based on what we can observe in our data. And we want to exchange this type of things. It sounds like it's more of an exchange than a sale. Yeah, I'm trying. I, I was thinking about that. I think that we are not at the sale level yet. That is, we have a few, or maybe on, more on a proof concept type, type of. Yeah. Uh, it's, mostly, it's mostly exchange. So are you familiar with Snowflake's data exchange technology? Yes, we've been lo looking uh, in into it. It's part of, uh, of our vision of where oh, we want okay. to go. So we, we see 
Snowflake has a, has a possible, I would say, tool in the toolbox to, to distribute, to share data across different layers with a high level of automation. The interesting mm -hmm. uh, part of Snowflake, it's, it's a good example of what I was calling AI for ops earlier, this automate, get scalable, distributed sharing of data with a service which is as of low maintenance as possible. So for Michelin, it's still preliminary. We, we have uh, a POC going on. We, we are evaluating Snowflake as a performance accelerator for either some of our business processes. And, I, and here I'm using, I'm talking about using Snowflake as, a, as I said, as a, as a smart data sharing platform, but also related to our business intelligence process and uh, the capability of, of Snowflake to, to share cubes of data uh, very effortlessly into many different places uh, fits very nicely the, the requirements of, of business intelligence and especially distributed business intelligence. Yeah. I want to take a step back though. What's your view on cloud computing for data management and data analytics? Are, are you migrating your data to the cloud or are you thinking about it? Or are you already there? So when we think about our data infrastructure, we, we think about two things, storing and, and forward and moving forward. And we need to store the data to, to share and for future use. And we also need to move data mostly for real-time processing. As far as store is concerned, uh, we have moved to the cloud. I would say most of our new generation of data lakes are on the cloud. All our advanced data store for the advanced analytics platforms, they are on the cloud. So we, we are already there. Why? Because we get more scalability and we get more agility with, with better tools. It's, it's a newer software stack that gets refreshed constantly. As far as forwarding data, is removing data from one place to another, uh, the cloud gives access to better tools, same, same argument, and I would say it, it gives access to the current flow of data management, and it's very striking, and uh, I, would say, I would say that Snowflake is a very good example. Distributed data management, it's, it's a domain where there are new technologies or technology improvements most of the time, and leveraging cloud computing is a way to make sure that you can, at any time, get the best uh, services that are available. So I understand that you're kind of kicking the tires with, with the Snowflake technology, correct? Yeah, we're making, a we're making our first assessment. Our, uh, one of our key transformations for, for Michelin, I would say for, for the decade to come, it's a long-term transformation, is to become a reactive company. That is a, a company that reacts to events according to the customer's timeline as opposed to our own time. Today, we still manage most of our processes in batch mode, and uh, during the night with our own schedule and really want to evolve towards event-driven architecture, continuous processing. And that really requires improving our game at managing data flows and leveraging the best that data flow management has to offer. And our vision is to move towards something that used to be called the Lambda architecture, where you combine cold analytics on data stores and hot analytics on data flows. And we want to see how we can leverage Snowflake as one of the technologies that will enable us to go to, towards that vision. So could you be a little bit more specific about the Snowflake stuff? I, you're, you're running a pilot program. What are you testing? What, were you, what are you looking for? What kind of results are you looking for? So we are looking at Snowflake to either accelerate some of our business processes. Mm -hmm. and, and here I'm using Snowflake really as a data distribution technology. That's the, the, the first area. And the second area is... As I said earlier, we have what we call a hybrid model. We have one central set of data lakes. We have data intelligence platforms 
We have three of them for each of the zones, which is kind of a shared platform. And then we have data engines locally for some of the, the, the business units and, and for some of the countries. So we have this sort of multiple scale of, of system. And when you have this multiplicity of skill, it gives you more agility, but it also creates a question or problem of, of synchronization and sharing. And we have been using uh, a number of technologies in the past, and we found that probably uh, Snowflake would, would do that faster, better, but mostly with, as I said, with less operation and, and more automation. So if I want to, to summarize, what we expect to learn from testing uh, Snowflake is to see whether the technology fits into uh, our needs and if we are, can leverage the embedded AI to uh, I would say leverage automation and, and make us more agile, faster, and, and uh, as always with a better quality of service. As soon as you can automate distribution function, you reduce the probability of errors. And you talked about the fact that you have these different zones. So you're sharing the same data very widely. Is one of the attractions of Snowflake the fact that you don't have to, you don't have multiple copies of the data, that you just kind of have one version of the truth? We are doing two things at the same time. One of them is to have, I would say, global data that, that has to be shared everywhere. And the reason we have a multi-scale BI, business intelligence architecture, is to also combine that data with local data. And local means uh, local to a zone or to a country or local to a specific uh, business line. And yes, you're right. The value of Snowflake in that architecture is to help us make sure that we have only one single source of truth because it's very important. We want to, to do two things which, are, which could look different. On the, on the one hand, we want to make sure that global sales, for instance, they are global. That there is, everybody agrees on the same figures. There is nothing more terrible for a company to, to have marketing meetings where people have different figures. So we want, we want to make sure that on some of the, the requests, we have very standardized way of counting with standardized data. On the other hand, many of the sales practices, they are different in China, in Brazil, and in Europe. So it means that the, the BI tools, they have some specificity, which is why we, we came up with this hybrid approach. And uh, so the goal with using uh, Snowflake is to, to leverage both. That is the agility of local customization together with a backbone where you have a single point of truth and, and a single version of the truth. Now, as we speak, the world is in the middle of this COVID crisis. Uh, we were a couple of months into it. Who knows how long it will last? How has Michelin been impacted by the COVID crisis? So Michelin, being a worldwide company, we have been forced to shut down factories around the world. And it started in China, then Europe, then, then US. The biggest impact actually was the drop with tired demand. And uh, T1 results first trimester showed uh, that March was a bad month with minus 21% in volume and uh, April is worse. At the same time, now we are starting to see the recovery in Asia. So that's, that's one of the value of being a worldwide company that we started getting hit early in January in China, but now we see that the, the recovery is there. The major uh, impact from where I stand for, for the CIO is with the use of data and technology. There has been two major uh, areas of, of concern. First, the, the use of the technology for remote working. And second, the use of business intelligence to monitor the sales very closely, close to real time. And we're back to this uh, BI uh, architecture. As far as remote collaboration is concerned, it turns out that two years ago, remember I told you my, my number one priority was quality of service. And we decided to invest into our software stack from, uh, from the network architecture to, to, 
to the laptop. We, we made a significant investment in cloud solution from Microsoft, from Office 365 to Teams. And that strategy has proven a success. And uh, our cloud-based solutions have scaled very nicely. And uh, IS actually has never been as popular as it is today, uh, or as it has been for the last few months, thanks to the, the, the really good performance of, of those new tools. As far as business intelligence is, is concerned, we have reinforced our teams and processes to implement what we call ultra-care level of service, because when the business depends so much on how fast and how serious the recovery is, we are making sure that we deliver the best operational excellence and that all our sales monitoring tools are working uh, with absolutely zero defect from uh, availability to data quality. So obviously, supply chains, distribution chains have been disrupted all around the world. And it's, it's a really calamitous kind of an experience. This is, not, this is not minor. Is it making Michelin kind of re-examine the way it, you know, where it builds things, where it gets supplies from, where it, how it distributes those kind of fundamental business questions? And if so, are you using data analytics to kind of figure out what's going on and figure out how you might do things differently? So let me address the, the supply chain first and then the, the, the strategy. The, as far as our supply chain is concerned, Michelin, as I said, is widely distributed around the world. We have factories in every five continents and most large major markets. I would say so far, our strategy has worked properly. That is, we, we have enough redundancy and we have been able to, to operate. We have restarted a number of the factories earlier so that some of the specialty products, because the, I would say the traditional tires, the regular tires, as I said, the, de- the demand went down, but for the specialty tires, the, there was a little more, more resilience. And we've been able to operate whatever flows of products we needed. So we considered that it was the resilience of the supply chain was there. You, you may have noticed that our CEO is very keen on describing our strategy as being everything sustainable. And what we've seen, and to reinforce this, we, we see that there is a tension between I would say, the, the post-COVID world and, and the necessities for CO2 emission uh, reduction. There are a number of examples. People seem to want to move from private, uh, public to private transportation, and the, the social distancing is not the friend of, of transportation efficiency. That, right. That's clear. The increase of e-commerce means that, uh, well, fast delivery means usually less fuel efficiency because uh, trucks are, are less efficiently managed. We have a number of, I don't have a crystal ball, nobody knows exactly what 2021 is going to be, but we see this tension between uh, COVID and and, uh, the need for a new green world. And when there is a tension, there is a a room for innovation. And this is exactly where Michelin wants to be. We think that we have to innovate so that there is no choice to be made. We can deliver both health protection and CO2 reduction, safe transportation, and returning the planet to a more sustainable level of, of greenhouse gas emissions. So... That, that's really where Michelin wants to be, solving those, those tensions with product innovation. And data is, is needed here for, for, for three reasons, so that we deliver more value, because at the end, this is all about efficiency and energy efficiency, more innovation and, and more agility, because as I said, I don't have a crystal ball and we don't know exactly how, where the market and where those opportunities are going to be. So if I look at what is important to get agility from data? It's really about data architecture, the, having a common data model, and cloud is an accelerator. You asked us, do we put all the data or some of the data on the cloud? And the reason is 
the, the answer is yes, we are putting data on the cloud because it makes us more agile. It will help us to adapt to whatever the, the, the opportunities are going to be. Data for innovation is really about circulating the data and it's a, the, the data-driven ambition I was mentioning, making sure that that data moves around. That That's how we can create services and solutions for, for our customers. And deriving, getting more value from data, it's about artificial intelligence and machine learning. It's really, so my job at Michelin is making sure that we I provide to my businesses I would say a data-friendly software ecosystem so that each of them, they can leverage AI and ML to, to, to be more efficient at what they're doing, whether it's developing new tires for electric cars that will consume even less uh, fuel or many other sort of opportunities that we will find along the way. Now, you talked about the tension between sustainability and some of the lessons we've learned and the adaptations we've had to make to, to the COVID. What kind of innovations are you looking? I mean, are there ideas that are already popping out in in the company that could lead to methods for mediating between those two points of view or those two values? So the, there are different uh, categories. There's really the, the product innovation and, and getting more performance out of tires, and that I can talk about because sort of it's, it's public knowledge. We we're working very hard on on long lasting tires with less impact on, on the environment. So, as I said, uh, tires with, with better fuel efficiency. Then there is the, the, the service and solution where you better manage the fleets. Remember what I said about e-commerce and the need. We, we need, as a society, to find a way to manage all the fleets of trucks even better so that we can continue to enjoy the, the flexibility and convenience of e-commerce without spending so much energy. So are you talking about optimizing delivery routes and things like that? Yes. And that has been around for a while, but the progress made with sensors, with uh, captors, connected objects, and connected tires. The connected tires, they already exist for, for the large, large trucks because the la when the tire is, is big enough, it makes sense to add a captor inside the tire. And, and then you can drive more value out of your tires. What's going to happen is the miniaturization trend, the fact that sensors are becoming cheaper and they are becoming smarter, so they can sense more signals we're going to improve. That is, there is nothing new about uh, smart routing of your fleets, but what we're going to be able to do in, in the years to come will be better, will be more efficient. And, and the third dimension for us is really, it's material science. It's inventing a new solution based on our deep understanding of, of chemistry, because at the core, we are a chemistry company. But that I cannot talk too much about. First, I'm not, I'm not an expert, and this is very proprietary. Yeah, yeah, I got you. You know, these days, passenger cars have these have sensors in the tires to say if they're underinflated and things like that and send you alerts. But you were talking about some kind of much more sophisticated sensors for the big equipment tires. I mean, this obviously isn't a data question, but it's, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. What kind of sensors are, do you have in there? Well, one of the things that, that we can measure is the temperature of the tires. So, for instance, we have a service for high-performance cars. We have a small sensor that we put inside the tire that not only gives the pressure, but it, it gives the temperature. It gives sort of more detailed readings. And if you want to get the best performance for your race car, it, it actually helps a lot. We can also measure the wear of the tire. So that there are a number of ways. We have connected objects that you put outside your truck or outside your car, it would give you a reading of your wear. And that, that's important. You, you can replace the tire just at the right time. 
Uh, you can also deduce the wear of the tire from the vibration, from noise measurements. So there are a number of, of measurements that you can make that will, if you have the knowledge about the, the geometry and the, how the tire is built, which is exactly what Michelin is very good at, you can infer from what you hear of what you measure how the tire is behaving. This is really where, where technology is going. No, that sounds great. I mean, the, the people have been talking about the IoT revolution for years, but it seems like it's finally here and, it, and it's translating into a lot of knowledge, a lot of data that, that is really actionable. Yeah, for instance, in, in the world of mining, it's already there. All the mining trucks, they are, they are amazingly uh, fitted with captors and sensors and the way they are handled and managed is already very optimized. Now, Eve, you obviously have a leadership role within Michelin, but you're also a member of France's National Academy of Technology and the president of the ICT Commission. So you kind of have this much broader national purview. What exactly are your roles there and what are you trying to accomplish? So the National Academy of Technology is the French equivalent of the NAE National Academy of Engineering in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I have co-organized the Frontiers of Engineering Conference with, uh, with NAE a couple of years ago. That, that was precisely about big data. So National Academy of Technology works like any academy. It works on questions or issues which are either given by the government, by, by say, institution stakeholder, or that are emergent, which are sort of self, self-declared or self-selected by the academy. And we work, we produce reports. And how do we work? We use the collective intelligence. We have our own network of experts, but mostly we listen. We listen to technology vendors, to startups, to uh, the best scientists in, in France. We uh, talk to companies that are using the technology and we produce reports, as most academies do, with recommendations. And our goal is to contribute to help France to better leverage technology as a society from, from the citizens to the corporations. So that's really uh, the goal of the academy. It has a motto, and the motto is about progress. We want the technology to, to reflect progress that is shared and understood by everybody. Right. To give you an example, the past few years, we have issued two reports. The first one was on, on big data as a paradigm shift. And the second one was about artificial intelligence and machine learning. And the goal was to educate our stakeholders, both companies, but also uh, the, the government, about what is necessary to make those new technologies create value for companies? Because France is a paradox as a country. France has lots of talents, top research scientists, startups, and French citizens, they are very fond of products and solutions, but digital products and solutions, but most of them come from American companies. That is, we are, we are not eating our own dog food. And what we, you could find in our report looks a little bit like Kaifuli last book, AI Superpower, that is, it emphasizes the role of software and the role of ecosystems. And it's not only about science, it's uh, the, the, the software and the ecosystem do matter to create value from artificial intelligence. Well, we talked to uh, the founder of Dataiku, and I hadn't realized they were in, in Paris. So is there a, a pretty good, healthy uh, tech startup industry in, in France these days? Yes, the startup ecosystem in Paris has grown a lot in the last 10 years, and now it's fairly sizable, and France has a tradition of mathematics during the, in the teaching in, during school and so on, so we have great mathematical school, and I would say the, the level of, of training of most computer scientists or engineers is such that we've always done well in uh, developing 
this type of new technologies. So if you look at Silicon Valley, there are lots of French uh, software engineers trained in the French yeah. engineering schools. And that's now visible in Paris itself. Because we have in France lots of startups, which is why the question now is what do you need to do as, as, as a country to make sure that that ecosystem grows and creates value locally as opposed to being exported abroad. That's interesting. You know, two of Snowflake's founders are French. Yes, I know. And, uh, but, you know, back in those days, of course, to succeed in the tech startup industry, you basically had to go to Silicon Valley or people thought that. And, and they did that and they, you know, worked their way up in Oracle and have done very well for themselves. Yeah, this is exactly what I did, by the way. That is, after I finished my PhD in France, I moved to the States and I worked there for a couple of years because I figured that as a software research scientist, the best place for me to exercise my talent was the US. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's part of the, of the culture. Yeah, but we're democratizing data, we're democratizing technology, we're democratizing AI. I mean, it seems like there's a tremendous kind of trend toward distributing the tools and the power and the knowledge globally these days. Yes, absolutely. This is true. But there is also the know-how. You need the critical mass of engineering know-how. Somehow, imagination, creativity, deep data science skills, they are now ubiquitous. You have great people in Switzerland, in China, in in Israel, for instance. There are so many other countries that are extremely good. But there is something about the software culture which is still where the U.S. still has an advantage. And this is really where, at least for France, we, we have to emulate and we have to develop that, that software culture. Hey, we've talked several times about AI, and I noted that you participated in a Singularity University program a few years ago, and that's the, the institution set up by Ray Kurzweil in, in Silicon Valley. So I'd like to know, kind of, what's your view on how AI will shape the future of business and society and even the experience of individuals? So this is the big question. So let first, I, I do believe that AI will change the way we run our businesses. So I will, the first part of the question, I have something to say uh, with a good level of confidence. And then I will address what the, the society question. First, I, as I said, I see software, uh, AI as a software modality. That is, there are those two great quotes. The first from uh, Mark Andreessen, software is eating the world. And then the CEO of NVIDIA said, uh, and AI is eating software. Mm. All of this means that AI is going to intensify the digital transformation because it increases the value that company can extract from data. Exactly what we were discussing, actually. Mm-hmm. So it will also increase the gap between the digital savvy companies and the digital laggards, so to speak. So it's, it's creating a very interesting uh, competition uh, to look at. If, if I look at what I've learned at the National Academy by interviewing the best in class, first, future data has more value than past data. So it's really about creating flows and growing data engineering as a practice as opposed to simply you know, learning from the past. More data gives you more insights than more services. And if you have more services, you have more data and it's a, it's a positive circle. So at the end, what you're creating is you are creating a, a reinforcement circle with data and you're using AI as a way to accelerate the knowledge acquisition there, which right. is back to what uh, the quote I was giving from Paul Dougherty that AI is a learning loop with embedded humans. And for me, if I still in the, the, the context of the business of the future, uh, I see AI as yielding a new way of working. That is the, the biggest change I, that I can see coming is the rise of the cognitive assistant. So sure, today we have Google search and we have Siri, but I think 
what's coming is so much better. And it will change the way we work. It will also change the way we collaborate because whenever we collaborate, we have to share context. And the more we can uh, use advanced techniques to, 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 I would say, compress the context, then the faster we are. So I, I, I believe that, uh, yeah, AI is going to change the way we run our businesses. As for society, it's, uh, it's a more difficult question. I, I see that AI is bringing a continuous path towards more automation. And uh, it's a long path. I don't have a crystal ball. There are many challenges that, that are hard that, that science and technology will have to address. And it may take longer than what we think. But still, I think the direction is very clear. Everything that, that could be automated will, at some point, sooner or, or later. And that gives me two trends. The, the, the first one is that we will move our focus more towards human interaction. That is, the rest will be done by machines. So what, what is going to become valuable in the future is human interaction. It means focusing on emotions because emotions are something which are unique to, to, to humans, at least for the time being. We'll value more local interaction. And that's interesting because it fits together with, with the, the need for curbing down the greenhouse gas emission. And the, the green and, uh, and, a, and a more human interaction-based society, they, they go together. And we're going to value probably more craftsmanship and personalization because all of this make this possible, the, 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 this new world. And, and second, to come back to, to what I was saying earlier, I think that AI is going to open new boundaries on human activity because it's a sponge for complexity. That is, when you have a complex situation, you can use AI to help you sort the complexity. I was talking about digital manufacturing and what we do at Michelin, our factories. And the reason we're using AI in machine learning is because we have complex manufacturing processes and by using AI, we can uh, manage that, that, that complexity better. And if the, the AI helps you to hide that complexity, then you can look at new frontiers, new things, things that would be, have been overcomplicated or overcomplex and that now uh, become possible, which is also a message from uh, Human Plus AI book from Paul Dogerty I was quoting, that, that uh, uh, the, the use of AI is going to create new edges, new boundaries, new frontiers of what we can do in the future. One of the things that we haven't gotten to in AI yet is general artificial intelligence. And that's one of the things that Kurzweil talks about and that people kind of contemplate with a mix of excitement on one hand and kind of concern on another. Do you have a sense of what are the guiding principles for how we should look at AI and how we should position it in our society? So first, I, I should say that the way, if I had to, to make a guess, it's a guess, but I think system of system is going the way to create, it's going to be the way to create really smarter system. That is today, for instance, with deep learning, we are able to be extremely good at recognition, sound recognition, voice recognition. But there is not one single technique that, that solves all problems. And it's very hard for me to imagine general AI technology, uh, I've read, as you probably have, many of the arguments, and it's hard to draw value from, it's too speculative. Whereas yeah. on the other hand, system of systems, they are already there. That if you look at the smart, uh, like the, the Todai robot in Japan, who is able to, to enter the Japanese university competitive exam, uses a combination of technique, it's very clear to me that we are going to build smart systems that will combine different type of AI, AI for reasoning, AI for planning, AI for building a smart memory. At that system of system scale, the question that you're asking about the ethics, about the control, 
is easier to address. Mm -hmm. That is, if you tell me we have found a wonderful mathematical equation, this represents the way to create general artificial intelligence. I don't know how to tell you how to control it or not. It's a right, speculative right. question. But if we say tomorrow we'll have a smart dog and the smart dog will do so many smart things or a smart robot at home, uh, but it will be a combination of subsystems, then we have, we have discipline. We have scientific discipline to, to test, to control, maybe to validate, to say, if the robot uh, decides the color of my room, I don't care if it's a, if it's a certifiable AI. If, if the robot is going to decide to close or open the door, there should be an algorithm that proves that it's correct and it will never uh, mess with the fingers of my kids and, and so on. So I think we will, we will evolve from having those discussions, I would say, in a theoretical matter about algorithms to uh, a discussion about the system of system engineering. And it's easier. There are frameworks to start addressing those issues. And then uh, as, as we make progress, we'll, we'll find new, new difficult problems to solve. Yeah. No, I like the point you're making about systems of systems. I mean, these days we understand just how complex the world is. And even as we get more and more and, and better tools for understanding it, you know, we still, that, that, in fact, one of the things that makes us do is appreciate just how many kind of interdependencies there are and unintended consequences and things like that. So it yes. seems like that is a wonderful use of artificial intelligence. It can be a, a tremendous aid to humans. And all that focus that we've had at various times in the, in the history of AI on, oh, trying to make an AI that thinks it's as smart as a human or it can do all, it can think the way a human thinks. It seems like that's kind of a, uh, an academic exercise or, or, or an exercise in imagination. But, but practically, it's not as useful as these other things that we're doing with AI and that we're making lots of, lots of progress with. So I think that's very encouraging. So, Eve, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I think it's, real, it's been really interesting, you know, both to hear about what Michelin is doing and how you're, the directions you're going there, but also to hear some of these higher-level thoughts. I mean, you're really a thought leader, not just for the nation, but for the world. And I, and I think it's been, it's been fascinating to hear what you have to say. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Steve. It was a very interesting conversation indeed. That does it for this episode of Rise of the Data Cloud. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by Snowflake. To see how you can get secure and easy access to any data with near infinite scalability, visit snowflake.com.